All right, keep standing just for a little bit longer as we read God's holy word. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Some of you are probably thinking, okay, this is the second week in Matthew, and we still haven't got to verse 1 of Matthew. I understand that, so we are still not getting to verse 1 this week. So it is important for us to understand and grasp the importance of the Gospel of Matthew, of looking at the intertestamental period of time, looking at the introduction of Matthew, and giving a brief overall survey of Matthew. And I want to begin our time by looking at 1 Corinthians 15. Um, Hopefully, if you're a member here, you are memorizing this. If you're not, you are just a few months behind, so join us. But let's begin looking at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And the Lord has blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So in earlier verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul proclaims what is of first importance. Now, I want you to take notice of those words. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Paul uses the words, what is of first importance? Not, this is what my personal thoughts are. This is not my opinion. It is that which he has received. What Paul received was from the Lord. Remember, Paul saw the risen Christ. It was from the Lord. It is that which all Christians stand on and by which they are being saved if they hold fast to it. In other words, what Paul is about to declare as of first importance in this chapter is not temporary. It is not something for a particular moment or a limited season. It is something that is of first importance for the long haul. Like the two words, just first importance. That is, they are chief, they are best, they are first in rank. It is of first importance from the moment of justification being declared righteous by a holy God. It is of first importance for all of life. You know, God's children persevere in what Paul is about to say. And here's a bit of warning before we read just verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. If the words by the Apostle Paul are just something that was true of you in the past and not true today, I encourage you to examine yourself very closely. Hold up what God has spoken and look at your life because you have believed in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
just by way of reminder, this church, it was not a healthy church. The church of Corinth, to put it in quick summary words, it was messed up. They were coming together, getting drunk on the Lord's Supper. They were gathering together, ignoring sins within the congregation. They were not worshiping the Lord rightly. But before we get to the point in saying, well, I can't believe that church exists, there are many churches like that that exist today. But let us also remember that this was a church. There were those there in the body whom Christ had purchased by his blood. Highly important. Now, I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So that Christ died for our sins, that he was raised on the third day, that he appeared, the person of Christ, who he is, that needs to be of first importance in your life. The work of Christ, the atoning death, the fact that Christ purchased sinners, that a holy God would leave heaven and come to this earth born of a virgin, he would live a perfect and sinless life, that he lived and he paid for the sins of those whom he whom would trust in Christ alone. The burial and resurrection of Christ on the third day, as he promised, the many eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ, these things are of first in rank or chief in the life of God's children. Paul continues in verse 12, which we read earlier, on the invaluable importance of the resurrection of Christ. If there is no resurrection, Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and our faith is in vain. That is, preaching about Christ, our faith in Christ, it is worthless, it has no purpose. Paul goes on to say that if Christ did not rise from the dead, faith is futile and all are still in their sins, meaning that nobody is in Christ. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is no once and for all payment for sin, as Hebrews 7 declares. Truly, if Christ is only valuable for the here and the now, we Christians, of all the souls on the earth, are to be the most pitied. If Christ is of no benefit when we die, we are the most miserable people now because our hope is in something that will never, ever come to pass. If Christ did not rise, we should just eat, drink, and be merry and have fun. Paul actually put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's the point if Christ has not been raised? John MacArthur comments, if our ministry on earth were an end in itself, then it would make sense to eat, drink, and for tomorrow we die. So as we approach studying the Gospel of Matthew, let us keep in mind 
That if Christ has not been raised from the dead, what is the point of anything that we believe? What is the point of ministry? What is the point of sharing the gospel? What is the point? The problem is we have many people who say they are professing Christians who really the only thing they do is eat, drink, and they're married. These words of the Apostle Paul explain the great high importance of studying the four Gospels, of knowing the life of Christ. We must know what we believe and why we believe what we believe based upon not someone's thoughts, not based upon someone's opinion, but based upon God's Word alone. We are Protestants, Scripture alone. If we are personally unsure this morning that Jesus is the promised Messiah, if we are not confident ourselves that Jesus is God or that Jesus was sinless, if we are not positive of the resurrection of Christ, this means we are unsure of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And if we are unsure, we have no foundation for our salvation. We have no foundation in which we are standing on. And when judgment comes, we will be without salvation. If you are presently unsure, you stand before God spiritually dead in your sin in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Christ. Paul the Apostle, he saw the risen Christ. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses. Christ has been raised. And if we are sure of who Christ is this morning and his redeeming work, our faith is not futile. We have a forever king. We have a forever salvation. And when Christ returns or calls us home, we will remain justified and he will glorify us. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. That he is sovereign. He is king over all. The Gospel of Mark informs us that Jesus is the suffering servant, the one told would come. The Gospel of Luke instructs us that Jesus is the Son of Man, the ideal man, while the Gospel of John proclaims that Jesus is God. You put all these Gospels together, and we understand, and we look at it, and we see the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the teaching of Christ, all that he accomplished Last week we discussed the promises of God in the Old Testament, looking at the prophets who spoke of the coming Messiah. So let me ask you, if Christ, who He is, His work, His importance, is that chief in your life? The work of Christ, the ministry of Christ, all that Christ has accomplished, is that really of first importance in your life? a wonderful question to ask. And I think if we're honest, if we're confessing our sins day by day, coming before the Lord, if we see where Christ has not been first, if we're using a picture of walking through a house and we go into different rooms, we see in our own life there are different rooms that we walk into knowing that Christ is not first in this room. Christ is first in this room. Christ, he's not first in this room. I, I don't even want to walk, talk about this room. And all of our life is to be lived for the glory of God. Christ is worthy of our entire life. So let's begin with the introduction of Matthew, finally. The title of this gospel is named after the once tax collector who left everything to follow Jesus. 
The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record the calling of Levi or of Matthew. So if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 9, you're going to be turning a lot this morning. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9, we find this calling. Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him as Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when they heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We also have the record in Mark. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. <coughs> he was teaching them, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Luke records, as his event went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in the house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why would the King of kings and the Lord of lords choose to call a tax collector to follow him? Here's an even greater question for us this morning. Why would the Lord call you? Matthew or Levi, he was working at the tax booth and Jesus said, follow me. Matthew left everything and he followed Christ. And if you have been born again, if you have been given a new heart, It is because the Lord has called you to himself. It is all of grace. It is not of works. The Pharisees, they were sitting there grumbling and complaining, saying, why is Jesus eating with these types of people? They're the ones that need a new heart, although they thought they had it all together. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, he came and he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Christ came to call sinners to repentance. Christ did not come to call the righteous. No one is righteous but God alone. Matthew sharing his own story is encouragement for us. And that salvation is all of God and not anything we can do to earn it. Literally, the name Matthew means gift of the Lord. This one tax collector became one of the 12 disciples who would see Jesus and walk with him for three years, the forever king. It informs us of the great grace of God and the Lord saving sinners. As God's children, there is no room for pride in our life. So the date of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is thought to be written as early as A.D. 50 and before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Most believe sometime between A.D. 64 and A.D. 70. If you're like, well, this really isn't important History is extremely important, as we discussed last week. As Christians, we should know history. The background and setting, 
Matthew is highly important. As in with any gospel, any book, or any letter, you want to know the background and setting as there are seniors here looking at what do I look for in a church when I go to college. Here's some words of advice. If you have a pastor who jumps from book to book to book to book and he starts to form things to fit what he wants it to say, stray away from things like that. You want to know the context. You want to know who the author is. You want to know the setting. You want to know who he's speaking to. You want to know all that so you don't rip things out of the Bible to fit what you want it to mean. Because the Bible only means whatever the Bible is meant to say. So you study it as a whole. Just like a letter from my wife, but she doesn't write many letters. I'm not just going to jump to the end of the letter and see where it says, love Amy. I want to read the whole letter because I'm sure she's rebuking me about something in the letter. The setting of Matthew is extremely important. This gospel was written to that of Jews. We learn this from the opening genealogy going back to Abraham, which we'll study more next week. There is also an underlying assumption all throughout the gospel that the audience understands Jewish customs and he calls Jesus the son of David. Matthew's focus is extremely clear. Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. It confronts the Jews and what they are presently believing. This gospel quotes Old Testament prophetic passages more than 60 times, demonstrating and pointing to the undeniable truth that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Back and back and back and back, Matthew goes, go to the Old Testament, go to the Old Testament, go to the Old Testament, open up your scriptures, and let me show you, yes, this Jesus is here. The long-awaited Messiah, the King of Israel, the King of the Jews, the King of all has come. Mark Dever summarizes, the message of Matthew is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of David, and the long-predicted Messiah. You know, both Matthew and Luke provide genealogies of Jesus. Now, the Gospel of Luke provides us with the bloodline of Jesus, specifically the mother Mary, the line of David, while Matthew opens up and he gives us the royal line. It's the legal father, Joseph, by adoption, not blood. That's extremely important. All apologetic and theological themes found in Matthew circle around the truth that Jesus Christ is king. Matthew wants the Jewish readers to understand that God's covenant with Israel, the promise to David, the promise to Abraham, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Matthew is the most Jewish of the four Gospel accounts. Much of what he records is a Jew's reaction to Jesus. So as you read and you go through Matthew verse by verse, you see this is what Jesus says. Oh, this is how they respond. We've already seen just a little bit of it this morning. They grumbled because of what Jesus was doing. Or Jesus would speak They would say, who is this who speaks with such authority? You see the Jews responding. Their response to the ministry of Jesus, what he was doing, healing on the Sabbath, teaching what he was teaching. The Gospel of Matthew is also very distinct. Matthew loves the words, kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. These three words are found 32 times in the Gospel. And they're found nowhere else in Scripture. 
Nowhere else. For example, Matthew 3, verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 5, 3, When you get blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew is the only one who uses the words kingdom of heaven. Elsewhere in Scripture, we find the words kingdom of God. Matthew uses these words because he is discussing Jesus as the divine sovereign who rules, the king of Israel, the king of all. That Jesus is the exact imprint of God, the display of God's sovereignty, the one who would redeem his people. Matthew is also distinct, and it's the only gospel that uses the word ecclesia. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, nobody else uses the word church except Matthew. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 18, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. (laughs) You've got to love the irony of the tax collector writing about let him be as a tax collector. The Lord builds his church upon Christ the Son of the living God, the long-awaited Messiah. It is Peter's testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the Lord's church is built. That the foundation of the Lord's children is only that of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything. There are three great purposes that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. Three great purposes. The first purpose I began discussing last week. Purpose one. That by the use of the Old Testament scriptures, Matthew teaches us that Jesus Christ is a long-awaited Messiah and King. That's purpose one. Purpose two, Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, has brought forgiveness as the King. They thought he was going to come and rule and conquer and rule. We, did, we even discussed this in Sunday school this morning, that, that the line was going to come, he was going to conquer be a political kingdom, and he would rule and and reign. And yet we see a Messiah that comes, and he lives, and he dies, and he proclaims, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and forgiveness comes from the king. But here's the warning. Forgiveness is not for everyone. Forgiveness is only for those who repent and believe. Purpose three, Jesus is building his forever kingdom. We see this theme over and over and over again all throughout Matthew that if we are honest with ourselves as a Christian, if we say that Jesus is only for this life, we are to be the most pitied. So let's keep these three purposes in mind. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus has brought forgiveness. And Jesus is building the kingdom of heaven. This gospel is both theological and apologetic in nature. We find what we are to believe in this gospel as well as how we are to live. If you read Matthew and you're not confronted with how you are living your life in response to who Jesus is and what his commands are, you've missed so much. You've missed Christ and you've missed examining your own life. These words also give us a defense of what we believe and why we believe it. All right, so I got 10 main headings for you. Here you go. 
Here's a brief breakdown of the Gospel of Matthew by chapters. So I'm going to go slow and I'll repeat it. So chapters 1 through 4. Chapters 1 through 4. You have history. You have birth. You have baptism. You have temptation and introduction to public ministry. Chapters 1 through 4. You've got history, birth, baptism, temptation of Christ, introduction to public ministry. Heading 2. Chapters 5 through 7. Sermon on the Mount. That's heading two. Chapters five through seven, Sermon on the Mount. Chapters eight and nine, miracles of Jesus. He talks about Jesus as king. He's a long-awaited Messiah. Let me throw out some examples from, from life. This is what Jesus did. He didn't just claim to be God. He proved to be God. Look at these miracles. So chapters 8 and 9, the miracles of Jesus. Chapter 10, the Messiah's mission to Israel. Chapter 10, the Messiah's mission to Israel. Block 5, chapters 11 and 12, sending of the disciples and the opposition. As Christians, I think we have forgotten a lot about this. Jesus, he trains them, and then Jesus sends them out, and then they come back. And they talk about all the opposition they face in this world. If we're going out and sharing the gospel, if we're going out talking about Jesus, if we're going out and calling people to repent and believe, you need to expect opposition. Block 6, chapter 13, parables of the kingdom. He loved parables. Parables of the kingdom. An earthly story teaching something that is spiritual. Block 7, chapters 14 through 17. Murder, more miracles, and the obvious two camps, the camp of unbelief and the camp of belief. Jesus makes it clear. You're either with me or you're against me. You either belong to me or you are my enemy. Either you have repented of your sin and believe in Christ alone for salvation or you do not have salvation. Block 8, chapter 18, life in the church. Life in the church. Block 9, chapters 19 through 25, preparing for the judgment to come. Preparing for the judgment to come. I get emotional with that because... My salvation occurred at First Baptist Church Keller under Dr. Leroy Patterson at Vacation Bible School. The gospel was preached. He gave an opportunity for response, and nobody would move. And so I climbed on the pews. I walked on the pews all the way down the pews, and that's a big no-no when you're at First Keller. And you go down there, and I was completely convicted over my sin. Chapters 19 through 25. Notice how many chapters that is. 19 through 25. All these chapters focus upon the judgment to come. How important it is for us to remember, especially if we are, consider ourselves a youth in this room, if we are young and you look at somebody else and they're old, the fact that this life passes by extremely fast. 
that this life that we see with our eyes right now is not all that there is. Our hope better not be in the fact that we're going to stay young. We need to prepare for the judgment that is to come because Christ is coming back and he will judge. Chapters 26 through 28, that's block 10. The path to the cross, the resurrection, the great commission, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Those are the 10 blocks breaking this down. The Gospel of Matthew can also be broken up into five major discourses. These discourses, they are authoritative teachings of Jesus, each ending with the words, when Jesus had finished these sayings. So you find this five times. It makes up the five discourses. Many people have also associated this to the Old Testament, going back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, talking about the five breakdowns. Those discourses have been used year after year after year for training disciples through the ages to become followers and obedient children of King Jesus. Discourse 1 is chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Discourse 2 is chapter 10, the commissioning of disciples. Discourse 3 is chapter 13, the parables of the kingdom. Discourse 4 is chapter 18. It's Christ's likeness of the believer. It's where Jesus confronts the fact that if you say you are a Christian, it will be clearly evident in your life. There is so much nonsense today about I have said this prayer, I have walked the aisle, I'm good, and my life looks nothing like I am saved. That's not biblical. Christ is not something you add to your life. Christ is to be your life. And if Christ is your life, you have been justified by God. That means the Holy Spirit has come inside you. You have a new heart. You're going to live differently. You're going to live for the things of God. And so if you're here and you're thinking, I don't know how my life is any different, examine yourself. The marvelous gospel We must take it all to heart. Discourse 5 is chapters 24 and 25. It's the second coming of Christ. Christ is going to come back. He's going to return. So, so many times we live like he's not. And this is all that we have, but that's not true. This marvelous gospel of 28 chapters, if you sat down to read it in a large setting, it would take you two hours. Two hours of reading the Gospel of Matthew. The pastors of this church, both Blake and I, desire that you will camp out in this Gospel as we study the book of Matthew for years. That you would show up each Lord's Day prepared for the preaching of God's Word. Prepared with enough sleep to listen. Prepared by meeting with the Lord throughout the week. Prepared by spending time in prayer, like the prayers you saw this morning, prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Like those are, you should be repenting of your sins every day. You should be thanking the Lord every day. You should be adoring the Lord in prayer every day. Prepare by making Sunday about the Lord and not our preferences. Even today, when we gather together, are we looking for songs that we like? Am I looking for a sermon which I can enjoy? Because we can walk out of this place and totally miss Jesus. 
So now that we have an introduction to this gospel, as well as an overall survey, let me use some time to hit some key verses. So turn to Matthew chapter 1. And maybe you want to write these down, but basically I'm just going to do what J.I. Packer calls, let the text talk. I'm just going to read God's word and hit some major points going through this gospel. Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall deceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. For a Jew, for Matthew beginning right here, as we look at next week in the genealogy, we are walking through this, this would have been, wow, are you serious? I have this scripture. This is what Jesus will do. Matthew chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So you have the introduction, the laying out of the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1. You have the birth of Christ. Then you get to chapter 2. You have the visit of the wise men. And you hit John the Baptist. He prepares the way. Then Matthew 3, you have God, Yahweh, declaring, This is my beloved Son as he is baptized, with whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, even heaven and earth pass away. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. We sing about this a lot. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It talks about laying up treasures in heaven. Out of all the people on the earth, we in the United States need to worry about these verses because we are the wealthiest people on the planet. We have everything. And yet we spend so much time building our own little kingdom that will fade and it will never last. 
The question is, what are we actually building? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is why praying a prayer is not enough. This is why walking in an aisle is not enough. This is why getting baptized is not enough. One is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Imagine coming before the Lord and telling the Lord everything that you did. God, look at, look at what I did. Are you serious right now? It's not about what you did. It's what, about what God has done. Matthew 9, 35-38. Jesus went throughout the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If you're not praying to God for God to raise up and to build up more laborers to go out and share the gospel, you need to add this to your prayer list. We're told to pray for this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's why God's children persevere. They don't fall away. Matthew 10, verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The fact that We do not need to fear man on this earth. We need to fear the Lord and have great reverence for him and do what he has told us in his word to do. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, Christ is everything. Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 12, verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. This should just spring up in our minds. The audience is Jewish. Jesus Christ is greater than the temple. Matthew 12, 15-21, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them, and all ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, 
my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break a smoldering wick, he will not quench, but he will bring justice to victory. And in this name, the Gentiles will hope. Matthew 12, 41, 42. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with a generation to condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment of the generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater Solomon here. Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Matthew 13, 36 through 43. He left the crowds and went into the house. The disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. So Jesus just taught in a parable. And the disciples were like, Jesus, um, can you explain what you just taught? He explains it. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age. The reapers are angels, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire. So will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. He will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear That day is coming. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He said, some said John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 5. After six days, Jesus took him with Peter and James and John, the brother, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. If we would just grasp the holiness of Christ at this point, like the brightest light that you've ever seen, do not go outside and look directly at the sun. But if you did for a long period of time, your eyes would be damaged. This is a greater light than that that has just occurred before these men. So much so that their clothes became white as light. That's the only vocabulary they had to explain this. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter, he opens up his mouth and says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Another time that you wish that Peter would not have spoken. He was still speaking them. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We have this voice again. Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Whoever will be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came to be served, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So we have an attribute in which we can hang our hats on and say, look, this is what Christ did. Christ came to serve and not to be served. Am I making my life about me or am I making my life about Christ and serving him? Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Have you ever dreamed about this? You can answer if you want. I think about this text all the time. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you're blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king and truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Then you will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then you answer them saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or sick in prison and not minister to you? Then you answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is where we find the bedrock of you have eternal punishment in hell and you have eternal life in heaven with Christ. Matthew 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave the disciples, says, take, eat, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. We're about to do this. He said, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine till the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. A beautiful, amazing passage. Matthew 27. In the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing us said, this man is calling Elijah. One of them at once ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine, put on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And the other gospels, we know what that voice was. It is finished. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after the resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were there keeping watch over Jesus, meaning the people who had just crucified Christ, saw all this and met Jesus and said, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. Matthew 28, 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountains of which Jesus had dreaded them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now next week, by God's grace, we will begin Matthew 1, verse 1. But please keep these three purposes in mind. Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus has brought forgiveness. Jesus is building the kingdom of heaven, and no one can snatch any of his children out of his hand. So perhaps you're here this morning, and you're relying on something other than Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. I call on you to repent and believe in Christ. Maybe you're here, and you have failed to spend time knowing the Lord which has resulted automatically, if you've failed to spend time knowing the Lord, that has resulted in your life ignoring the commands of God. Will you ask the Lord for forgiveness? Will you stop filling yourself with the things of this world? God has called you to himself. Repent and follow him with the little time that you have left. James informs us of this. Our life is but a vapor. We are here one second and we are gone the next. You may be thinking, I have years to live. You do not know what tomorrow holds. Follow the Lord. Father, I thank you for your holy word this morning. How good it is just to read the word of God and to let it speak and do its work. Lord, forgive us when we have made this life about us, then we have actually thought when we gather together with the church that it's about me. It's about my preferences. It is about what I want, and we have not made anything about you. Father, for the things in our life in which we need to confess before you, Lord, I pray that we would do that today. For those who are lost, Lord, save them by your grace. For those who are convicted, comfort them, Lord, with your word. And if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remind us over and over and over again that in Matthew, Jesus is a promised Messiah. Lord, in this life, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Savior of the world. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.